You're listening to the Metaphysical Mentor Podcast with Michael Philpott, providing you inspiration, information, knowledge, and motivation to help you on your soul's path. Covering topics related to health and happiness from the mystical to the metaphysical and everything in between. Making the unknown known. Now let's join the podcast to discover today's topic. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. This is the Metaphysical Mentor Podcast with me, Mr. Michael Philpott. Thank you so much for joining me. And before we get started, uh, Marsha and Bernard, I just wanted to say, I always say this, uh, a quick thanks to all my listeners who listen on Spotify and Apple. And if you do listen to Spotify and Apple, and especially on Apple, you know, give it a five-star you know, put a little comment down. I always appreciate that too, as well. Also, you can watch the video on YouTube. So if you're watching this right now, yeah. you know, like subscribe, I really appreciate it. Trying to grow the channel. It's been a little slow. So I really need your help in growing that too, as well. We're going to be producing the show on rumble. So we're going to have it on lots of platforms, lots of places to see it. And if you want to donate and sponsor the show, the show is is funded by you, the listeners and the viewers. So we're trying to keep it corporate free, advertising free. So if you want to support, there's donation links in the description below. Hopefully they're working uh, a few times, but people have been telling me that they're not working. So that being said, uh, well, thank you guys so much, Bernard and Marcia. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Our well, pleasure. It's our pleasure. Yeah. We're delighted to be here with you, Michael. Yeah. You know, I, I love when I got the, um, when I got the email from um, Aaron and she talked about uh, the book and, you know, I was really excited because this is my audience loves this stuff. They love how you can take science and spirituality and bring them all together. Now, one of the things I found was very interesting, Bernard, was that originally before you became an astrophysicist, you started in seminary school, becoming a priest. So right. what made the switch there? Well, um, I went off to, actually, I spent the my high school years uh, in a school dedicated to educating a young uh, man for the priesthood, eventually. And that took that takes us on, the, would take us on an eight-year-long track to become a priest. Anyway, uh, the reason I, I left the uh, seminary after one year in, in, the, in there was, uh, in one word, girls. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think he... Uh, after he matured more, he had more uh, sophisticated views of what spirituality was, and the Catholic Church wasn't completely fulfilling what what it was that he wanted to achieve. And uh, I guess I have something to say about that because uh, I think he chose astrophysics because that was his second passion. But astrophysics actually goes along very well with girls. Because he wooed me with his knowledge of astrophysics. He took me out on a, a walk at night at Lake Berryessa in California. And it was the sky was pitch black. And there were all these constellations. And he knew all of them. And he pointed them out to me. And I was really impressed. So that's amazing. Yeah, I, I love yeah. that story. You know, I always I always get fascinated by people's stories about how they came to be, about what they're doing. And, you know, it's really interesting. Through all you guys' work with astrophysics and the understanding of, of God itself, has your view on the universe or God changed in any way? It has changed greatly. 
I mean, he now has come to believe that um, that the universe is really um, created by conscious immortal beings along with God, the infinite and almighty consciousness. And uh, we're living in a, we're co-creating a virtual reality together with this great cosmic consciousness. The root reality does not consist of physical stuff, which is kind of unusual for a scientist, right? Yeah. So um, he believes now, we both do, the one and only thing that it does exist is consciousness and its thoughts. And our consciousness is literally a piece of God. Interesting. No. So it's our own consciousness that's creating God, or we're co-creating with God. We're, we're co-creating with God. Right, we are our little little gods, basically uh, limited, of course, in our abilities. But um, we are the same stuff as God because God God made us out of out of Himself. We're sparks of God. So would this actually talk about the Big Bang theory? Is this what they? What you know, the scientists were talking about how it, consciousness came into being, and then from there sprung forth us out of that. Well, it's all Simpl related. simplified terms, I guess. <laughs> no, it's, it's all related. I mean, we came up with a. It's a, everything we talk about here in the, in this discussion is a model of God, and Bernie and I want to make sure that that is clear because we're not claiming we know everything, but we've developed a model that is very logical, and uh, we hope is true. So um, the universe started, first there was nothing. There was the Ein Sof, which is the nothingness that is discussed in Kabbalah. And out of this Ein Sof, the consciousness known as God, he, she, God, because God's not a sex, not a male, not a female. It's beyond our comprehension, really. And so God, I, but I will use the word he just because that's the convention. Yes, but okay. We, we refer to, you know, non-sex, you know, God. So God emerged from this um, Ein Sof and uh, wished to know himself better and was lonely. So as is uh, spoken about in um, chapter one of John in the Bible, okay, verse one, in the beginning was the Logos. So when you think of the word logos, at first you think that means the word of God. But if you go to the Greek translation, logos also means an expression of thought. Okay. So, yeah. So that kind of clears everything up because things get lost in translation. Yeah. Because was, was the original version written in the Bible Greek and then it was uh, uh, translated into Latin and there's some mm -hmm. of the words got mixed up? Well, the, uh, the Bible was originally translated, and then it was originally, originally written down in uh, Aramaic, right? No, uh, oh, no, Greek. Oh, okay, then you're right, Michael. Yeah. It's uh, uh, yeah. So uh, I guess I heard about some versions of the Bible that were written in Aramaic. Maybe some of the tablets that have been discovered are, but yeah, I guess it was first put together by the Greeks. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah they, yeah, and then things get, the Greeks. Pardon me. Compiled, compiled in Greek. It was compiled in Greek. Yeah. Yes, it was compiled in Greek, and then I guess things got lost in the translation to English and other languages. Yeah, 
So, so this expression of thought is what we're talking about. And this expression of thought got lonely, like I said before, and wanted to experience other things. So it decided to boot up the universe with the Big Bang. Mm -hmm. Kapow! Mm -hmm. Right? And so I guess Bernie is one of the um, unusual scientists that thinks that the Big Bang came about as a result of uh, consciousness known as God, but that's what we believe. Mm -hmm. And then from there, all of the uh, different galaxies and star systems and planets were created and everything evolved and then you know life on earth happened and we know about the evolution of the life of earth so and, but everything is an expression of god spark of god yeah, brother there is nothing else so so if you want to make something you got to make it out of the god stuff because there is nothing else and we're proposing that uh, you know god can do this for as long as he wants to they're trying out every kind of a game or or creativity activity that he that he wants, and he can do this by becoming well, actually by sending out those sort of sparks of himself, sending out sparks of himself that can go live in a physical world. Like for example, if God if God would like to ski down a mountain, say uh, he can't do that as God. Spirits don't ski down mountains; he can't do it. But <laughs> He, you can't uh, even put any skis on your feet because there are no feet, yeah, right? Exactly, right. <laughs> uh, but, but so if you want to experience that, uh, you could imagine it, and that would be enough to make it happen. And that's sort of the basis of, of our, our idea here overall, that, that uh, whatever God wishes to create, gets created. And it gets created out of the same stuff that is himself. So there's nothing else that's required but him. But him. It's just God you know, playing around with himself and making whatever he wants to be real. And that's the uh, the purpose, in fact, behind that creation. Say. Yeah, you reminded me yesterday, Bernie, that we're all made out of star stuff. Yeah. Every human being, every animal, every creature on Earth. Yeah. And God is star stuff. That's right. Man. Carl, yeah. Carl Sagan used to talk about that. Think, as, you know, <laughs> we are made of star stuff. And that's true. We are made out of star stuff because we come from uh, the, the, uh, the activity inside supernovae. They evolve in a certain astrophysical way and so on. I don't want to enter that. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I I understand that. I've heard that many times about the star, the stardust. That we, you know, they call us like celestial beings. That the same stuff that's in the universe is basically what we're comprised of, and we are like star beings in some ways. That we we evolve from the heavens, is that we would say. And that we were, you know, the same material that's floating in, in the universe is that comprised of our physical bodies. So we're, there's no separation between what the universe is and what we are as physical beings. But I really like that idea that God created something because he, he can't physically create that. I mean, he can't physically experience it. So maybe that's why we have these physical bodies so that if he wants to, um, I guess, in some ways, experience something in the physical matter, that he's actually experiencing through our own interactions with our own little world here on earth. Would that be exactly. kind of exactly that's that's the whole motivation for doing it, as, as far as I can tell. That God you know, can manufacture any kind of a body or anything else that he, he wants to enter into and use that as a way of the vehicle for experiencing uh, what his creation is all about. So that's very much the center of, of this that 
that the idea that God can create whatever he wants without having to do anything physical, because there isn't any physical to work with anyway. So it's all a matter of, of, of having a, like a divine dream that gives a, uh, God's a desire a, a means of expression. I wanted to say something about um, why would the universal consciousness create a virtual universe? It's to evolve itself through the element of free will, which we didn't mention. And free will is very important. Yeah, I'm because, glad you mentioned that. Yeah, because without free will, it would just be a puppet show. You know, yeah, free yeah. Will, adds all the varieties of things that can happen. Yeah, I was always interested in that. Like how much does myself and yourself actually have free will? Like, or like you say, is the uh, the idea of that, you know, God's like the puppet master and he says, oh, let's, I want to experience this. Let's let Michael do this and let's Marsha do this. So how much of it we can say like, yeah, no, I don't want to do this. How much do we actually have that free will and choice? 100%. You think it's but I have to I have to add to that there's a caveat because you know I believe in more than one life and you know between lives we go to another realm where we're recuperating it's maybe sort of a heaven-like place not not like the traditional heaven where you go through pearly gates and there are angels flying around with harps but it, it is a, a happy cheerful place <laughs> We do believe in heaven. And um, during that time, we have to review our lives and we have to work with guides, angel guides, and we have to decide, well, what what is it that we still need to learn? And, and are we going to reincarnate on earth again? You know, what did we not learn? So we developed this plan along with our guides. So we do make a plan and we have to remember that plan. That's a challenge once we're human beings again. Because, you know, as when you're born, the veil of forget forgetfulness is placed before our eyes. So, uh, but you, you know when you're straying off your path, you just know intuitively. So I guess with regards to free will, we could choose to stay on the path we chose for ourselves, or we could choose to get off the path does that make sense yeah it, yeah, it, yeah it does yeah. yeah it does like it's yeah. it's it, there's always that you know the idea that's you know like we, i know you guys are talking about like this virtual reality that you know this is like a simulation it's like this video game that we're all kind of intermixing with and we can either choose to be on it or in the video game or choose not to be in the video game and to understand that and to have that sense of free will and stuff like that. So one of the things you guys talked about is John 1. I want to go back to that idea about the understanding of that. So why was John 1 so important to your research? Well, uh, I, I don't want to exaggerate it because it, 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 in and of itself, it didn't have that much of an impact. We're just saying that this is a statement that uh, in, the, in the beginning, there was nothing meaning it was it became the logos and the logos was with god and the logos was god that this is a something like a koan i suppose in a, a, a different uh religion would, would count this as uh it's, it's a way of concentrating our thoughts on a certain idea that may not have a perfectly rational explanation but it, 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 uh, gives thoughts to our, our mind it's a really important part of the bible that just yeah. talks about the origin of where we came from 
Yeah, it, you know, it really is. So, I, I mean, with that, and um, how does Genesis? For, okay, so for those who are listening, um, we're talking about the Christian Bible in Genesis in John one. For all my listeners who are non-Christian stuff like that, so the idea about the creation story. So, have you guys looked into? Um, obviously, you probably have. But how does Genesis, I, the idea with creation, and your work, how does that involve in in understanding the universe and God and its mind and consciousness? Well, there's some inconsistent inconsistencies in Genesis, right? I mean, uh, well, what do you think about Genesis? I mean, it's wow. very allegorical. It's very um, picturesque. I mean, you can really kind of grasp onto the ideas about all all the different elements, how they started, and you know what what creation what came out of creation. But there's this one part that Bernie said that all astrophysicists um, disagree with because there was a light that was created before the sun and the moon and the stars, right? Remember that? And so that that touches on Bernie's idea of the zero point field, which we have not spoken about. But Yeah, let's talk um, about that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. the zero point field, because this is a really important part of Bernie in my uh, metaphysical work and Bernie's scientific research, because he has a company called Jovion. Uh, the website is Jovion.com, J-O-V-I-O-N.com. He's come up with an experiment, and he has a patent for tapping this zero-point energy through Casimir cavities and gases and possibly getting a new way to uh, extract energy from the universe. Wow. I don't want to go. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty That's, bad. That sounds pretty <laughs> slick. I must say that. I mean, so there's the possibility that we can extract energy from the universe. So basically, would it be like free energy? Well, I hate to say it, but yes. Well, <laughs> I hate to say that because it's it's so prone to. Uh, it's not free energy, Bernie, because you have to use Casimir cavities well, to right. get it out. Strictly, you're speaking. Yeah, right. he doesn't. We don't want to use the term free energy because there are a lot of people that have misused the term. We don't want to be put in that category. I have to back up just a minute. Sure. We were talking about Genesis. So anyway, the life that was created before the sun, the moon, and the stars was the zero point energy light. It is composed of photons and many other wavelengths, but it is a light. And so in that, if you put it from that perspective, the Genesis was correct. They did know about the light before the sun and the moon and the stars, but they didn't know what to call it. And they didn't really know how to define it. Somebody was just being a prophet and sort of intuitively knew about it. Apparently. <laughs> we actually have some discussions yeah. of the, the technical parts of this in the book that's uh, literally coming out today, our, our book. No, it's not today. It's coming out October 2nd. Oh, right. Very soon. It's like two weeks away. Right. Yeah. So we have a, a, a kind of a detailed description of this notion in the, in the book. And so yeah. it's a, yeah, I've been having exposure to a lot of people. Do you want to know about the zero point field? Because I started to tell, to tell you, I just teased yeah, you. Yeah, I absolutely. Guess. Yeah, you know, this is the great thing. Is like my viewers love this stuff. They love eating up this uh, this information. Um, I'm always fascinated stuff because I as as much as I'm the I'm on the I'm interviewing you guys. I'm yeah. just as a listener too. So I'm like, I'm like sitting here, like I'm one of your students. Like, just go ahead, talk. I'm just going to sit here yeah. and just absorb it. Cause I love learning. So go ahead. Okay. 
Well, the zero point field um, and its attendant energy, the zero point energy, is broadly recognized as a vast field of electromagnetic energy. It's also known as the quantum vacuum field. And this field represents the underlying energy that is everywhere in the universe, even when there is nothing else but vacuum. And it has every frequency or wavelength that exists. Some are short, some are long. It's perfectly random. And this is already known to Einstein and Max Planck. So it's not a brand new concept and it was recognized by very eminent scientists. Um, so we think it could be tapped in a way that would provide humanity with an endless supply of totally clean energy. So uh, I don't, probably most of you don't know what a Casimir force is. No. <laughs> went to, went to we're, metal. But, but, uh, but we're going to find out soon enough. Yeah, you're going to find out. Okay. Or we can get the book and then we can and read about it in two as well. So either one. Exactly, so Yes, if you want it, yes. Well, so what happens is when two metal plates are pushed together, there's an overpressure of the zero point energy on the outside. And we're talking about nanometers. So that's one of the reasons that nobody has been able to tap the zero point energy so far is because it's down at the nanometer scale and our technology was not capable of that. But now technology is, and so we're trying to figure out a way to get a Casimir cavity that will be pushed together so tightly that um, the longer waves of the zero point energy will be kept out that was the major complaint. Oh, you can't get any energy out of it because it's already at the lowest force that exists. But inside a Casimir cavity, it can even get lower because it's excluding the longer waves of the zero point energy. And so then what happens, and Bernie has decided we're going to use noble gas. By the way, I'm the, the CEO of the company and he's the chief scientist. <laughs> he, uh, by using Nobel, noble gases, sending them through the Casimir cavity, it could capture the photons that are squeezed off of the atoms that are trapped inside the Casimir cavity. And it will push the photons that are squeezed off out of the cavity into a photovoltaic cell, whereby that's the same technology that we use for solar panels. Mm -hmm. whereby that energy will be captured and then can be converted into electricity. Wow. So, that's, that... uh, that sounds very good. I mean, now, as far <laughs> as the, there's no like after effects, no, no, no pollution created from this. This is, is so it's, it's, I guess, is it green energy too, as well? Oh, it'd be totally uh, free of uh, pollutants because it's really just yeah. messing around a little bit with electromagnetism. You know exactly how, how that functions. Yeah, we're pretty yeah. good at understanding that right now. Electromagnetism, it's it's still it's still pretty pretty amazing. Now, this is really interesting. I had a conversation not too long ago about ancient technologies. Now, a lot of these ancient technologies have been lost, and they talked about the same idea of capturing, you know, this type of energy and bringing it down, and using it is to empower a lot of these things. Have you heard of people talking about, you know, that sounds similar to these ancient technologies they used that such and such group used to have back in the day. Have you ever heard that? 
Well, well we watch ancient aliens, so <laughs> we have heard of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I assume you probably do too. <laughs> yeah, I've had a few a uh, few interesting guests on. We talked about uh, different technologies from uh, from the. Uh, from the past and so on. But uh, yeah, I've always think that's so fascinating. So one of the things with that technology and understanding the universe, do you think as you know, both of you are saying, are we limited by our own physiology of our own little, our meat suits that we have here that to really experience and understand the greatness and the vastitude of what God is and consciousness is? Well, I, I think we get a pretty good idea of it. Uh, well, yeah, but we can't really comprehend yeah. God because we're thinking like human beings because we are human beings. <laughs> but that's but that's my point. That's what I was yeah. trying to understand is that because of we are human and we're kind of trapped in our little I always call it our meat suits, right? So we we were that's trapped. Cool. In, yeah. yeah, it's just how we were like you know because we are like we, you said earlier, that we're our little godlings. We're a part of, we're a little fragment or spark of the overall picture. Is it just that because of our physiology, we're not allowed to fully express or understand, you know, the greater uh, consciousness of that? And I've always been wondering that if that's just part of our, of being human, that we're kind of like cut off a bit. And it's our job to try to find our way back to understand that. I, yes, that's right. I think that uh, it can take thousands of, of lifetimes, maybe more even, to uh, take every aspect of ourselves and try and work this through a lifetime and take the lessons that we learn from, from that into the next lifetime. And so there's a long progression of things that we have to do before we rise to the next level. I think there are some next levels. Um, so yeah, that's that, which really, uh, brings up the concept of karma. That yeah, That's the... Uh, Oh, should we talk about that? Uh, yeah, sure. We discussed karma uh, when we answered the question. We have a section called questions and answers. Why do bad things happen to good people? That's, yeah, I'd let, I'd really like to know about that because I've had a lot of bad <laughs> crap happen to me. <laughs> uh, I know that's probably one of the most difficult questions to understand and to actually accept also, <laughs> especially if you're one of the good people that have some bad things happen to you. You know, it's, it's very difficult. Well, so in our God model, let's first remember that we are sparks of God and we are sparks of God's consciousness temporarily inhabiting our virtual bodies. And we have a long road ahead of us, numerous lives and numerous circumstances yet to come. Yeah, we didn't talk about reincarnation either. We should do that after this. Sure. Yeah, just go okay. ahead. Okay, so it, it could be the case that we have karma to reckon with. And that's the destiny that every person earns through their behavior and actions, whether you like it or not. <laughs> when you behave kindly, this is an example of a situation where you earn good karma that will result in good things happening to you in the future. But it might not necessarily be in this lifetime. We're not sure when it, you'll get the good karma. You would like to think it would happen in this lifetime. And actually, I think you learn more when it does happen in this lifetime. And you learn more when it happens right away. You go, what did I do to deserve that? This is wonderful. 
they go, oh yeah, this is what I did. You know, I, I helped an old lady, you know, out when she was at the grocery store and she dropped a bag or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but if you have negative karmic debts to pay from bad actions, that can result in some bad things happening. Even if you're basically a good person, you may have had a couple of misdeeds, which, you know, we're not saints, we're human beings. So as much as we'd like to think we were all perfect, I don't think we'd be here if we were. Yeah, well, We'd be angels instead, right? We have to, uh, we have to <laughs> come through a, um, a process that eliminates all knowledge of our previous lives when we come into a new life. Because the idea here is that uh, if we knew what we've done in the past, then that would not give us, uh, we would not be able to, uh, using free will, do things differently, to learn something from that past experience. And so it's necessary to not remember who we are, what we are, you know, our previous lifetimes, because that would uh, nullify our ability to, to jump into the, the current life and, and live it fully and use it as a way to, um, to educate ourselves about our, our, our own nature. Yeah, so we were going to talk about reincarnation. So yeah, uh, yeah, because it's it's always interesting yeah. because I, I I love how you talk about these topics because in your book you guys talk about these topics, but it comes from such a place of you got a good science background and you talk about reincarnation, karma, things like this that are really more the, the spiritual or sometimes like you know they call it the woo woo. It's out there a little bit, but you you really bring it all together and understand it, which is really caught my eye. Once I was reading the book, I got the digital copy and I was like, going, Oh my gosh, they're talking about reincarnation. They're talking about karma, talking about past lives, really. And they're talking about the zero point energy field, magnetism, you know, all this, <sighs> you know, Max Planck and all these different physicists. And I was like, going, this is some really cool stuff. So how, okay. So how would you guys frame that? Let's talk about the reincarnation then. Cause I think it's just so fascinating. Well, we, for uh, 10 years, managed, and um, I was the chief editor, and he was the uh, chief science editor for the Journal of Scientific Exploration. There's this really great society. It's called the Society for Scientific Exploration. And um, we are uh, joined right near the beginning. And like I said, I managed the journal for 10 years. So we went to many conferences, many articles crossed my desk, and our eyes got open. That society is a, a scholarly society that looks at topics that are not necessarily mainstream. They can be, but they could also be a little bit of out-of-the-box thinking, you know, but for instance, the topic of reincarnation is done, um, the research was done in a very scholarly and uh, thorough way. And we worked with some of the original investigators. We worked with Professor Ian Stevenson from the University of Virginia and his protege, James Tucker. So, yeah, I was going to ask you about Stevenson and his work. Yeah, oh, Ian Stevenson was absolutely amazing. He was very, very thorough. He studied over 3,000 cases of children who remembered uh, or claimed to remember past lives. And he concluded that emotions and memories and even physically bodily features could be transferred from one life to another. And he, uh, one of the 
people that he researched was a young boy who recalled the life of someone who had been shot. And the sister of the deceased person told Stevenson that her brother had shot himself in the throat. So he didn't just uh, investigate the, the young child that had the memories, but he actually was able to go back to the family of the person who had died. And um, so this really made it seem real to him because he had this case. Okay, this boy had these memories. He remembered being shot in the throat. There was a birthmark on his throat and the sister of the previous man remembered her brother shooting himself in the throat. And then Stevenson thought about it and he thought, well, you know, if he shot himself in his in the throat, the bullet must have exited somewhere at the top of his head. So he went and searched through the boy's hair, the young boy who had the memories. And yes, indeed, there was a birthmark for the exit wound. Wow. Yeah. So he did that. He researched people that had birthmarks. And, and you know, he talked to the, the people that knew him and the, the other person in the past, the previous life. And then he spoke to the person that was having the memories. So there's this really um, amazing story about uh, that James Tucker investigated. Mm -hmm. This is like one of the most powerful ones that Bernie and I have come across. And this is the case of James Leninger. So starting at the age of two or three, Leninger- Is this, is this sorry, just a, is this the oh, child right. about the, the pilot? Yes. Okay, yeah, go ahead. This is a great one. Oh, okay. Yeah, it is. A, it's exactly that one, because that's probably one of the most famous ones. And it's really powerful. Okay, so James Leninger, starting at the age of two or three, started remembering the past life of uh, an American pilot in World War II who was in the Pacific arena. His name was James Houston. So he had been shot down by the Japanese in the Pacific Ocean. So the memories of, we'll call James Houston, James uh, two and, and James Leninger is James three because James Houston was James the second, I believe. All right, so the current, the current James three, James Leninger, he uh, had memories of an American aircraft carrier, the first and last names of a friend on the ship the location of the attack that killed him and the nature of the hit that brought down his plane. And all details later were confirmed to be accurate. He even met his friend from the aircraft carrier in a reunion, and the friend confirmed that Leninger's memories of Houston were correct. Wow. So uh, we have learned after uh, reading some of these stories, and I have to say, also, I have a personal experience I did not share, but yeah, if you could I, share, that I, would be brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, these experiences have pointed to life after death or an afterlife. Now, Bernie mentioned that we all have this veil placed over us, so we don't remember our past lives. Well, what happened to me when I was 16 years old? I had a near-death experience that pulled the veil back just a little bit. I got to look through. At the time, I wasn't so grateful for the situation because I was 16 years old and I was carried out to sea by an undertow 
mm-hmm. nearly drowned, but I didn't. So uh, during this experience, you know, you can imagine the terror of a 16-year-old looking back at the shore and seeing it grow smaller and smaller and having my friends scream at me on the beach. And I was screaming at them, help, help, you know. And uh, as I got pulled further and further out, maybe it could have been about a quarter of a mile. The shore got really small. I I just know that. Um, I had this beautiful experience happen to me where all of a sudden, all my fears melted away and this beautiful pink light just came over me and my ancestors appeared to me, like my grandmothers who'd passed, my grandfathers, you know, people from way down the lineage. They all came to me and they joined hands. It was like a net underneath me. And and they said to me, Marsha, don't worry. It's not your time to die yet. We're going to keep you afloat. Just relax and we'll keep you afloat until health comes. And so um, there I was just floating in this sea of love and light. And I did not even need to swim. And I saw the other side. And it's not far away at all. It just has to, you know, thin out. And there they are. (laughs) So. That, what that did is that opened the veil for me um, and I could start seeing things, uh, you know, later on in my life, but I should finish with the story. So um, I was rescued by a surfer. And in the meantime, my father had tried to save me in an inner tube and a second surfer came and rescued him. And what they did is, so we were pulled out to sea by an undertow and they circled around out across the undertow and brought us into shore. And uh, when I got back to shore, as you can imagine, I had hypothermia. I was shaking from head to toe. And it took a while for me to thaw out. They put me in a warm bath. And, uh, you know, I came around and uh, was greatly relieved, of course. But it was never quite the same afterwards because I'd seen the other side. And... Later on, when I was 19, I had a really high fever. That veil parted again, and I saw myself. I went into a yogic, you know, yoga position that I did not, I had never studied yoga before, and um, went through a series of 32 past lives. Wow. Yeah. So that's why I believe in reincarnation, because I saw them. Some of them were very are very short glimpses, and the more recent one I do remember. But um, that's that's basically why I believe in reincarnation. I think I've piqued Bernie's interest because I've told him the story many times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I say the most convincing example was the one of James Leninger. Yeah, really. that was yeah that was a really profound one, and I was reading uh, reading the book yeah. there. It was really profound in how that is, you know. So. Bernard, I want to ask you about about your own experiences too, as well. From there's always this notion that if you're if you're looking for something, something will find you, yeah. and this idea that if you're looking for the universe, you, your observer, 
you all of a sudden now become the observed. Have you ever experienced something like a mystical experience yourself while gazing out into the universe and have a kind of a, a moment in in a in consciousness where your own consciousness expanded and you kind of felt or understood the nature of God in some way? Well, no, I I, I hate to admit it, but I don't have any kind of a record of experiencing uh, mystical things or something that Marsha experienced with her rescue by her, her ancestors. I just don't have that. And I wish I did. Uh, He's I very intuitive. I'm going to say that, in fact, it involves you, that I think my, my role in this lifetime involves getting together with her, who has the experience side of all this, and using that as something that, that gives me access to the in an intellectual way to the to many of these ideas, and uh, so I, I guess that's the the, the uh, more I reward I got for agreeing to come to this life and, and do things like talk to you or enter the journal of scientific exploration. Because of my experience, I have to say he's uh, not giving himself complete credit because he has told me many times he's always known that he had something important to write about the nature of our spirituality and our relationship to God. That was why he wanted to be a Catholic priest. And he wanted to be a Catholic priest from boyhood. He used to line all of his animals up on his bed and feed them communion. (laughs) I have never heard of that. That's amazing. Isn't that a wonderful vision, right? I just envision it, yeah. I mean, that must have warmed a few hearts there. You know, I, you know, I can imagine people walking in and goes, what are you doing? I says, Oh, I'm giving my animals communion. Like, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. That's, that's a great story. So one of the things, you know, I was always interested to as well was, you know, what was the, what was real the motivation behind writing the book? You know, um, was it really just to, to pique people's interest? Was it to bring them a little bit closer through to understand God and consciousness through the through the eyes of a scientist? Or yeah. just well, yeah. Uh, the book doesn't just stand by itself, though. It has two other books that go along with it. They talk about various other aspects of this this the whole view of God and the universe as a uh, creation that has yes. a purpose. Bernie, you actually have three other books. Well, I know one of them is by. Well, he does count. Here, I should name his books. Yes, please. The God, yeah, The God Theory, yeah. uh, The Purpose Guided Universe, Proof of God, and then our current book, The Miracle of Our Universe A New View of Consciousness, God, Science, and Reality. So he has four books to his credit. That's very impressive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I might add that um, I know we didn't mention this, but Bernie has Parkinson's and I think he's doing an amazing job because, you know, it's not so easy for him to speak. And um, so I hope all of you will excuse if he sometimes slurs his words, but I think he's doing a great job. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm really impressed. Like, I mean, I'm I'm just really grateful that you're here and you're able to, you know, talk to us today. So I, I do appreciate that. And you know, it is it is a struggle uh, in talking like that. And I, I fully get that. You know, a lot of my listeners know my own story of not be able to speak and still haven't got my voice 100% back. So 
I, uh, I do understand that. So, uh, I do appreciate that, but I mean, the, you know, the thing is the body may not be, you know, thing, but the, the brain is always, is always pretty sharp and, and, you know. Yeah. I think, I think I was, a I came into this life with the, uh, plan, the, the directive to, um, bringing this way of thinking and some of these basic ideas into, uh, Bring 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 them to exposure in the public, so that uh, they can have uh, an educational impact, and try to their um, our images of they're not, not serving us well in our society. Get, get some of them to be superseded. I mean, there's so many ideas about what God is, and some of them are you know like like ours. I hope well, well, well thought through. Some of them are ridiculous. And so, I wouldn't say they are ridiculous. It's just you know they might be a little bit unusual. Well, I'm, talking about, <laughs> I'm talking about the real baddies, you know. Oh. For example, where people <laughs> use their religion to uh, oh. uh, kill other people, or to uh, you know. oh yeah, well that's just not acceptable in our mind. I mean, we think that's a misuse of spirituality. I mean, there's a difference between religion and spirituality for sure. Yeah, I, I really think yeah. so too. I mean, I there's so much been used in the name of religion and spirit, you know, spirituality. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I mean, the atrocities, you know, saying you know uh, God's will, you know, or different things. So we've created some really awful stuff as humans in the name of God. And I just yeah. think, yeah, it's it is it is pretty ridiculous. But I just you know, I just think in that case that we're so far from God. How can we create these atrocities? It doesn't make sense in a logical in a logical sense. That's you know, um, why would something that created out of love and that that love is the force that created us, that's created the universe, would it's just so the opposite of hate and destruction and yeah. terror. It's just it's just the total opposite. So I always say it's just a, a really big disconnect from that source, that love. And I always tell people, you know, when you, and you're going on this path of spirituality to, to know yourself and to know your creator is to, to be still and connect with that. And once you feel that, that love, that energy, that is source, that is creation, there is a sense of oneness and understanding of all things. And that's the, you know, I hope we get to that point where we evolve our consciousness enough that most of the population on earth are, can really in touch with that and we're not having all this craziness that's happening in these days these these wars this separation this hatred that we're seeing on a such a global scale on a daily basis and you know it's it's sometimes it's baffling sometimes for myself to understand how it seems like we're advancing but it seems like we're going we're still the same we haven't we haven't evolved at all well that's why our book is so important because we um demonstrate that we are sparks of God and God is love and God is not a set of man-made rules or dogmas. Religion can be man-made rules and dogmas that were created hundreds of years ago. And uh, we want to update people's idea about spirituality to a modern God that fits in with the future of humanity and, uh, for us to feel good about ourselves too. We don't want to feel like we're sinners, you know, we need to be able to accept mm -hmm. ourselves and love ourselves. And 
to aspire to become better people, of course. And the concept of karma helps to open your eyes about that. It's like, well, you know, if I want to have better things happen to me in the future, I need to really do well right now and be compassionate. I didn't actually um, use the word compassion until now. And I think compassion is a really, really important concept. Because if we have compassion for everyone around us, then that suspends judgment. I mean, judgment is a very harsh thing. And that goes along with the dogmas of some religions is the judgment, right? Well, if you don't believe like me, you're going to go to hell, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's judgment is really actually uh, a product of ego. Okay. Right? It's what you've taught. You've been taught. These rules you've been taught to believe are correct. And so you get your ego going and you go, oh, you know, that's not right. That's wrong. You know, that puts up a wall between you and other people around you. So. Yeah, that was one of the interesting things you guys talked about is the concept of hell in the book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't believe in hell. (laughs) Yeah. You know, which was really interesting because, you know, for most most religious beliefs, the, the idea of the separation between heaven and hell and you guys talk about the possibility of not being a hell or is there a hell? And I always thought that was always fascinating too, because, you know, a lot of us think that, you know, if you're not doing the right things or certain things that there is, you're, that's the only place from a, uh, you know, tr- uh, Christ- true Christian perspective on that way too, as well. Yeah. I think that it's, if you think about it logically, uh, I think you can rule out hell as a place that really exists pretty, pretty, lo- pretty reasonably. And the uh, you know, thinking goes like this, that um, we as human beings cannot commit anything, commit any sins that are, that are infinite, because we were, we were finite. And so we can't do anything infinite. But anything we do in this life, no matter how bad it is, is, is finite. It's limited somehow. It'd be, you know, limited you know, in a sense of the billions of years of, of effective karma. Um, and God is supposed to be an infinite, infinitely good being. And so how could God, an infinitely good being, punish a mortal who is limited in his judgment or his, uh, his ability to avoid sins? He a limited capability, yeah. God, God cannot, if God did that, he would be infinitely unjust to punish somebody infinitely for, for finite for finite sins. And we need, we need to add that this is um, assuming that hell is an infinite place to be right never never escaping ever again you know once you're in there is infinite forever and ever all time right yeah so that fits with what bernie's saying that god is infinitely just but we are finite and what we do we could pay for our karma but once it's paid for we paid for it you were going to mention something. You had two things that you wanted to mention. Yeah, yeah, two things I want to mention. I don't know if Bernie can think of anything. I wanted to talk about the position of the National Academy of Science. Sure. And, uh, and to demonstrate why science and spirituality can coexist. This is an important idea. Yeah, I think so, yeah, we should really emphasize that. Yeah, yeah. So the official position of the National Academy of Science states... Religions and science answer different questions about the world. 
whether there is a purpose to the universe or a purpose for human existence are not questions for science. Science is a way of knowing about the natural world. It is limited to explaining the natural world through natural causes. Science can say nothing about the supernatural. So whether God exists or not is a question about which science is neutral. So scientists can have spirituality because that's outside of the scientific way of thinking. Right. Scientists like should not be judging spirituality because it's not a question for science, right? right. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's that's one of Bernie's really important purposes in life uh, is bringing science and spirituality together. And here's a famous quote of his that's propagated throughout the internet. Advances are made by answering questions. Discoveries are made by questioning answers. Mm, I like that. And you know what? That quote there is a perfect way to end the podcast. That was amazing. Yeah, it was fantastic. So um, just before we go, I always like to ask uh, my guests there, if they're looking for the book, um, they want to know more about your guys' work, um, um, your website, all that stuff. So this is kind of a little, a little the end of the discussion that you guys can, uh, you know, promote yourself, promote the book. Um, where can they find you? Okay, so we have a website. It's called uh, the Miracle of Our Universe, all run together. dot com. So you could go to our website. We have a Facebook page. I have an Instagram account. That's my name, Marcia Sims, M-A-R-S-H-A-S-I-M-S-4-0. We're putting posts up there. Um, You could purchase our book, The Miracle of Our Universe, A New View of Consciousness, Science, God, and Reality on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Thrift Books, um, Walmart. I mean, all of the major bookstore outlets okay fantastic so i'll have all that information in the description below so if you're watching the video if you're watching on youtube or rumble just scroll down and uh, have all the information there so you can you can look up the website and things like that and same thing with on spotify or apple too as well i have all the description information so if you want to you know like follow you know you know pick up one of the books um they're absolutely a fantastic read i highly recommend that and uh, I'm just going to close out the podcast. Marsha Bernard, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Oh, we enjoyed it too. You're a great person. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I'm just going to close off the podcast, everybody. This has been the Metaphysical Mentor Podcast with Michael Philpott. Thank you so much for joining me and goodbye for now. Bye. Bye.